Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Utopia Podcast, formerly known as Nonprofit U. Our podcast is an extension of our community, and we provide a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia, the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities. And you can find out more about us on nonprofitutopia.com, Facebook, and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often using the hashtags nonprofitutopia, Vineland, and nonprofit board games. You can also leave comments on the blogtalkradio.com forward slash website. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions. In order to use the chat room, you must open a listener-only account. You'll find a link to so right underneath the chat box. You just click and go. You can also email me at ValerieFLeonard at nonprofitutopia.com. Just to let you know, I won't be able to answer your question you know, while we're on the phone. You know, I'll see it in the chat room, but if you email me, I won't necessarily see it. But I will get back to you just as soon as I can. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. If you happen to be listening from your computer and you're on the episode page, you can see that number on your screen at the top. We encourage you to sign up for our mailing list to keep abreast of the latest developments with the nonprofit Utopia community. We have included a link to our mailing list in the comment section. Building effective boards is a developmental process and can be compared to a game. There are rules of engagement, players, strategies, time limits, winners, and losers. Darshel M. Garner, Managing Director of Vineland Consulting, LLC, has significant success working with faith-based organizations to help them master the game of developing effective boards. Darshel and I will engage in a lively discussion on how organizations can go from great to greater. We'll talk about how nonprofits can use organizational assessments, board development, strategic planning, and annual planning to position themselves for long-term sustainability. Be sure to take notes and call in with your burning questions. And before we get started, I just want to share a little bit of information about Darshell and her company. Full disclosure, you may hear some cackling from time to time from me. Everybody knows I like to laugh, but Darshell and I went to school together, so there may be a little bit more laughing than normal until Darshell pulls, <laughs> pulls my strings, as she is accustomed to doing. So I, I love her. She loves me. So, Vineland Consulting Group, and that's V-I-N-E-L-A-N-D, Consulting Group, LLC, was established by Darshel M. Garner as an answer to God's call to address the needs of Christian faith-based nonprofit organizations. Darshel's more than 20 years of experience in the nonprofit sector, both domestically and internationally, revealed to her a clear need for highly skilled analytical business applications for nonprofits at all stages of development. After several years in corporate America, Darshel discovered professional possibilities in the nonprofit sector while a graduate business student at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management, where an introductory class in nonprofit management changed the trajectory of her career. She subsequently earned an MBA in marketing with emphases on management of public and nonprofit organizations and international business 
then launched a career in nonprofit management. And I will say that Darshell was ahead of her time. When we were in school, the focus was on mergers and acquisitions and all that good stuff. And Darshell was laser-focused on nonprofit management, and it served her well. Darshell has since been blessed to have worked actively in the nonprofit sector applying high-level business principles and skills to facilitate the growth and success of organizations in the U.S. and South Africa. Focusing on general management, program development, strategic planning, and governance, Darshell has been able to make a significant impact on the effectiveness of numerous organizations throughout her career as a senior executive in board leadership and as a consultant. Most recently, she served as executive director of an educational foundation in Northern Virginia. And in addition to offering a valuable combination of creativity and analytical skills, Darshell's greatest strengths lie in her capacity to critically assess organizational needs, facility and strategizing practical solutions, and an aptitude for generating desired results. Prior to earning her MBA, Darshell graduated from Brown University with a BA in economics. She's a Connecticut native and has lived many years in Chicago and currently resides in the Washington, D.C. area. Darshell loves the Lord follows his leading, and seeks to honor him in all she does. And I can attest to that, having known Darshell for many years. So, Darshell, for being a guest today. And again, before we get started, can you tell our listeners about Vineland Consulting, LLC, and some of the services you you provide? Well, Valerie, thank you so much for having me on today. It's a it's a great pleasure to uh, connect with you again after um, having been a, a a student with you in business school, and so thrilled about Nonprofit Utopia and all of the help it's providing the nonprofit community around the world. Uh, and so, I, I am grateful for the opportunity to be able to share uh, the bit that I know with your audience, and uh, hopefully, mm-hmm. it will be helpful to someone. Um, Vineland Consulting Group, um, as you shared, is is a nonprofit consulting uh, firm. We seek to uh, address the needs of nonprofits of all shapes and sizes uh, in the areas of governance, planning, and management primarily. Our primary focus is faith-based Christian organizations. Um, we are inspired by scripture, actually, John chapter 15, mm-hmm. verse 2b, which says every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And so we believe that God is using us to help prune nonprofits to bear more fruit so that they can go from great to greater. Um, our mission is to strengthen Christian nonprofits in the areas um, that I shared, and we focus on organizational structure. So we look at the organization from the inside out um, with the belief that if, if it's operating well, just like a well-oiled engine, then everything works well. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's our focus, and that's what we hope to do with, uh, with and for our clients. Oh, that is awesome. So I know that organizational assessment, that's, one component of the work that you do. Can you tell our listening audience what you are assessing typically? And I know that might vary from time to time, but why are assessments necessary? So for most, most or for many at least, nonprofit organizations, you know, the, the, the mission is what's driving the organization. It's the passion for the work that the organization does. And oftentimes, the the actual uh, structure of the organization, the, the the components of the organization are overlooked in favor of the mm-hmm. program or service that the the nonprofit is offering. And so, by assessing the whole organization, we can help shine a light on areas that need strengthening. And when those areas 
are strengthened, then the mission can be fulfilled even more effectively. And so we look Mm -hmm. at everything from ethical practice to financial (laughs) management to governance to human resource management to operations. And within these Mm -hmm. sections and these areas of operating, we look at uh, just a host of, of various factors. So, for example, in financial management, we'll look at Uh, the board's financial responsibilities. We'll consider internal controls and financial risk assessment. We'll take a look at stable and predictable revenue and and their financial accountability. Um, We'll look at their management system and payroll. So all of these things are, are necessary for a highly functioning organization, but if something is overlooked or if something is not, um, at the level it should be, it can drag down whole organization and undermine the work towards uh, fulfilling the mission. Mm -hmm. So once you work with an organization, you go through the assessment process, first of all, how long might that take? And then how do you use the assessment results? So with... Everything that we do at Vineland is custom. So depending on the needs of the organization, we might assess one or two areas. We might assess the entire organization. It could be a very um, uh, uh, lower-level assessment just to get a good feeling of how the organization is generally functioning, or we could do a deep-dive um, negation in in all of the workings of an organization. Uh, mm-hmm. So it and given that the the time frame could be anything from a month to a year, um, depending on what the needs are, uh, and depending on what follow up is required and to what extent Vineland can support the implementation of that follow up. Uh, typically, mm-hmm. every assessment comes with a set of recommendations, and they can be very extensive recommendations uh, for what that organization should do to uh, strengthen the areas um, that have been assessed. So Mm -hmm. it could be anything from expanding the board of directors or providing training for staff in a particular area, or it could be a just a a myriad of of Mm -hmm. possibilities. And so the timing depends on really what's required um, and what's needed and and what has to happen afterwards. And do you also work with them throughout implementation or that's done on a case-by-case basis? It's, it's, again, it's up to the client. Some clients want just the, the assessment and the results. Other clients just, desire to have uh, some, some even even coaching to help implement, and yet other clients will want us to walk hand-in-hand hand with them in, in, uh, in implementing some of the, the recommendations. Mm-hmm. So, again, it depends on the needs and the desires of the organization. Okay, and for our listening audience, um, do you ever provide services remotely? I know you're based in the Washington, D.C. area, but, you know, suppose someone from Chicago or Bermuda, you know, wanted to follow up with you. Is there some way that you can also work with clients remotely? Absolutely. In fact, many of our clients are remote clients. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, certainly an in-person meeting is always helpful, but with technology today, (laughs) we we, we can (laughs) – we can practically be in each other's offices uh, within within seconds. So um, remote is, is absolutely an effective tool for us, and we have used it very successfully and happy to use it. Okay, great, great. So as I mentioned in the introduction, building a strong board can be compared to a game. So let's start with the rules. What are the most common duties and roles of the nonprofit board? And I know this sounds basic, but you know, from my observation, many organizations get this twisted. So if you can share with us what the roles are. 
for the board? Valerie, that's actually an excellent question, and my experience has been similar to yours uh, in that many boards and organizations really don't know. But the board of directors is the uh, legal entity for every nonprofit organization. The board of directors Mm -hmm. is responsible for the organization, for fiscal oversight, for legal compliance statewide and nationally and internationally, if it is such an organization. Uh, The board is responsible for uh, managing, overseeing, evaluating, hiring, and firing the CEO or the executive director. The board is, is responsible for the general governance of the organization, not the day-to-day mm-hmm. work of the organization, but ensuring that the organization has what it needs to carry out its mission, and that includes money. So the board is also in, uh, responsible for uh, ultimately for the fundraising for the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Not that the the staff are not they the staff also have responsibilities, but ultimately the life and death of the nonprofit lie in the hands of the board of directors. And that brings an excellent point too. We we often go into these board engagements ill advised, not realizing that, you know, legally the board is more responsible, well is responsible for what goes on, as you said, and even more so than any employee. The the employees if if I'm not mistaken, are not legally liable, you know, unless it's the executive director who is also a board member. You know, it's the board members who can, in fact, be sued if in the event the organization doesn't have enough assets to, to cover the liability in the event of a major suit. And that's exactly right. The board is... The, the the buck stops with the board, basically, and certainly a staff member. If 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 a staff member were to do something illegal, that he or she would be responsible for that. But for the organization mm-hmm. itself, the board members mm-hmm. individually and as a collective group are responsible. Okay, and so how do boards actually mitigate the risk, and how do you? attract high-quality board members knowing that there's a strong liability. So why would people want to still engage in you know, being board members in spite of the risks? Well, the, I mean, the risks are there. The risks with everything. The, the mm-hmm. reality with nonprofits is that they're, mission, they're mission-driven. And so people are attracted mm-hmm. to a nonprofit based on the mission. Um, and so, you know, we're 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 a, a culture of volunteers, and 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 serving on a board of a nonprofit is a way to con- make a kind a valuable contribution to one's community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, the the upsides are far far greater than any potential downsides. And certainly, mm-hmm. as long as the board is aware of their responsibilities, that they have been properly trained and prepared to do the work of the board. Um, okay, I got you. Then, and, and the board ensures that there are capable and competent staff who have the, the tools and uh, resources necessary to do the work of the organization, then, then most often it's, it's, it's a good experience to be a part of a board. Okay, great. And then, you know, some of the other ways they can mitigate the risk, you know, other than having people who really understand what they're doing and they're competent, you know, liability insurance, I guess, for, you know, the day-to-day operations and then directors and officers insurance, you know, that gives, you know, I find that that gives people comfort, you know, once they understand, you know, the duties that are before them and are a little bit concerned about the risks. Yeah, I've find it to be helpful. And that's a good point, too. Um, mo- many nonprofits don't necessarily think about that, particularly newer nonprofits who mm-hmm. perhaps received their 501c3 designation in the last 
couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. When they start out, they're not really thinking about that, but but that kind of insurance is a valuable uh, tool from the beginning and uh, should grow with the growth of the organization. How do the roles and responsibilities of the board differ from staff? So the, the staff are required, their, their focus um, is the day-to-day work of the organization. The, the implementation, mm-hmm. uh, the carrying out of the mission, and everything that goes into that. The board is governance. They provide oversight. Um, the, really, mm-hmm. the only um, staff person that the board should be focused on is the executive director or the CEO. So, so even though, for example, the board treasurer will work with the organization's controller, who is staff, mm-hmm. in terms of managing the controller that comes from the CEO. The board should not be managing that person. And that's where things mm-hmm. can sometimes get get a little sticky because really the board should be separate from the staff. And, mm-hmm. and any staff issues the board should be addressing should come through the CEO or the executive director and vice versa. Yeah, they they should it. be separate, and, and, and it's problematic. It, it can be problematic when those lines <laughs> are blurred. Yeah, I can imagine that growing organizations, you know, when they start, they may not necessarily have staff. You know, they may be started by a group of willing workers, and then when they get mm-hmm. to the point where they hire that first staff person, I, I can imagine it's hard to let go of a bit hands-on, and I can imagine in your line of work, you've had to help people to understand that their roles, you know, even though the roles don't change, the actual work that they do may evolve from, say, a working board to a governing board. Yeah, and it is an evolution. It's a transition, and it's usually a process. It's um, <laughs> it's not usually something that can happen overnight. And 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 understandably because people's hearts are in this work, you know, and they mm-hmm. and this is almost like their their child that they have they've grown from the beginning. And so you have to respect that and understand that, and then work together to put in place a transition plan that will address. Mm-hmm everyone's needs at various points in time, but ultimately get the organization to the point where it's operating um, properly. Okay, and and speaking of operating properly, one of the most important documents is the bylaws, set of bylaws. So the bylaws are legal documents. They are in alignment with the Attorney General's office, usually in every state. So they govern the organization, and they also inform the policies and procedures in some cases. So given the issues that you've seen with board operations, are there some provisions that organizations may tend to leave out in the beginning that they ultimately end up coming back to revisit and include later to resolve yeah. some issue that may have come up? Yeah, but from from my experiences and and i and i'm certain they're they you know all experiences range the gamut from what i've seen for new new newly established nonprofits um the bylaws are pretty just standard they you know they cover mm-hmm. what's what's required by law but because the organization really hasn't developed and they haven't really started doing the work and even if they have it's still fairly low level they they um they don't really think through necessarily and they don't know from experience certainly mm-hmm. what some of the needs will be down the road so for example um board member um uh, terms term limits so they might and even the number of board members, the 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 law suggests that requires that every nonprofit have a board of directors. The suggestion is three to five people. So 
that's great if you're a volunteer organization and you're you're just going to have your board and who's thinking about term limits and who's thinking about number of people on the board. But in three years, if you've developed your program enough, you need more people to do the work. You can't get it done with just four people on board. And so they have to expand the board and no one's thought about time limits. Everybody's been working, 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 and they look up in in three or four years and everyone's burnt out. And so, (laughs) you you know, you, you try to bring on new board members, but the old ones are burnt out. There are no time limits or term limits. And so, You've got board members who are burnt out. You've got new board members who really don't know what's going on. The old ones aren't fresh enough to to bring them up to speed, and they've got to go back to the bylaws and and think some more things through. Um, and certainly, you know, there, many of them aren't thinking about staffing and and how hiring will take place, and a lot of those things have to be revisited. But what mm-hmm. I will say is that. It's natural. Um, it's it's not, you know, it's not a horrible thing to have to go back to the bylaws and make some adjustments. I've seen it done in mm-hmm. many organizations. Um, it's not something you want to have to do every year, but maybe every mm-hmm. ten years, every seven to ten years, you look at them again and see where the organization is with respect to the bylaws and see if there are any, th- any changes that need to be made. Um, but mm-hmm. it's not, it's, it's not, it's not a, a deal breaker or a horrible thing for an organization to have to revisit. Um, mm-hmm. And it's almost natural for them to not think it fully through at the beginning because they just don't know mm-hmm. generally. Right, right. So what are some of the most common issues that you've come across in your dealings with nonprofit boards? You, you've already covered a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly the big ones um, we've covered uh, that board members really don't know their role as a, as a, mm-hmm. as a body and as individuals. Um, mm-hmm. And then also uh, the, the blurred lines with staff. I think that's a huge, that can be a huge challenge Mm -hmm. for um, some organizations. But then also, and this is really important, um, boards have to function as a team. And Mm -hmm. it's not enough to come together a few times a year or every other month or whatnot and and have a, you know, a two-hour meeting. The the more cohesive a board is and the more understanding that they have about – everyone's role and their own individual role and their role as a body, the better they can serve the organization. Um, I mean, if you think about like even a basketball team around the heels of March Madness, I mean, imagine if you've got a basketball team and everyone's doing their own thing, but they don't know what's going on with somebody else. You know right. what someone else's role is. How, uh, you know, you you're not practicing together, and you're not bonding as a team. It undermines the performance of the organization, and that's really, mm-hmm. really important. If you if if the board is the is the foundation of a nonprofit, and it's not functioning cohesively in a unified manner, what kind of foundation is that? That's that's a that's a that's shaky ground, mm-hmm. and I see that as a real challenge. If you especially if you've got board members who are competing against each other, and it's about position and it's about power and that kind of thing, it's just not mm-hmm. it's, it, that doesn't serve an organization well, and um, that's a challenge. Um, I think team building, and we we do some of that with mm-hmm. um, Vineland. Um, team building workshops and and ways to to uh, improve communication and trust and accountability and conflict resolution. Um, you know, awesome. working together. I think those are those are the kinds of things that mm-hmm. um, ensure that that governance foundation is strong. 
You know what, too? I, I find another issue that's pretty common is people getting stuck on their agenda. You know, there are some mm-hmm. organizations that, you know, you look at their minutes from January, there's a certain item that's on the agenda. And in June, that same item, you know, which doesn't have to be anything major, may still be on the agenda for a, a number of reasons. But, you know, it's things like that, not having effective meetings. But I think mm-hmm. you bring up a really good point, not being able to work in teams. I, I can remember being an executive director of an organization, and we were stuck, <clears throat> not because people were incompetent, but they were entrenched in political battles, literally, mm. in a literal sense. You know, we were in a neighborhood mm-hmm. context, and literally half the board was loyal to our local alderman, and the other half was loyal to someone who wanted to be the alderman, you know, to replace that sitting alderman. And both sides, you know, they had a battle for my soul and, you know, as the executive director. And there were some things that we just could not push because of external politics. You know, politics external to the organization were playing themselves out. You know, these two sides, neither one wanted to see the other get a leg up, you know, in the eyes of the Mm. community. So there were certain things that we just could not move for those reasons. You know, we could not move Mm -hmm. forward until we had a funder literally say, well, you're not going to get any funding until you meet X, Y, Z milestones. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we literally had to spit off under duress. It was, it was challenging, and we met, you know, all the milestones. But you know, it shouldn't have to be that way. And I think you mm-hmm. you brought up a wonderful point about team building. And you know, to that point, I just want to get a sense too from you. You know, what are some of the tactics that you've used to get boards unstuck? And boards will be stuck for a number of reasons, you know, other than what I just described. Yeah, in some in some cases, it really um, will take the turnover, board turnover, to make the change. Sometimes, mm-hmm. or an outside influence like a funder. In your case, mm-hmm. you know where the funder mm-hmm. says you can get it together, or you're not going to get any money. But but in other other cases, it sometimes requires the wait. You know, wait until that turnover happens, or facilitate the turnover. So that there can be um, uh, new new people brought in um, to to help balance out the the, the difficulties. Um, but again, you know, certainly team building can help. Uh, in in you know, we like to do it as a as a retreat in a way that we can um, present new perspectives in neutral environments and so you know people how to uh, resolve conflict um, mm-hmm. help them to build trust among each other even when they think differently about the same thing um, teach them ways of communicating uh, so that they can be heard and understood and then mm-hmm so that they can hear and understand somebody else. Um, you know, we, we'll even, uh, we even do workshops on effective meetings. Uh, to, to your Ooh. earlier point about, uh, you know, having something on the agenda in January and, and it's still there at the end of the year um, because meetings aren't effective. And I think we've all probably sat through at least one ineffective board <laughs> meeting um, at some point. And there are ways to ensure that there are good outcomes to to board meetings and to ensure that even people who are at odds on a particular topic can still get something done together um and that's mm-hmm. that's the objective you know and at the end of the day it's not about any individual it's about the mission and fulfilling mm-hmm. it and when when that it's presented 
in a way that is non-confrontational. Um, and, but at the same time instructional, um, it, it, it can sometimes and most often have a very positive effect. And we, we like to think that we've been able to do that with some, with some organizations. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you've been able to do it. I've, I've read your, <laughs> your testimonials. So I, I know you're very good at that kind of work and, other kinds of work. So you're being modest. Thank you, by God's grace. (laughs) By God's grace. (laughs) And and, and you know what? I I know from experience, because you and I worked together on the first ever Black Management Association conference at Kellogg, and there were some conflicts, and you, you handled them beautifully. So, so I know you've got a better I, I, memory than I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have to share some of those moments offline, but but I know from yeah. when she's speaking, <laughs> she's telling the truth, guys. She's telling the truth. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. He's the only <laughs> one. Okay, so. I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Darchelle M. Garner. She's the Managing Director of Vineland Consulting, and we'll be taking questions from our listening audience now if you have them. So, so feel free to call us or post in our chat room. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. And we've also noticed that our international audience is growing. We would love it if we could have our podcast guests to reflect the views from around the world. So if you're listening from a country other than the United States and you know of heads of NGOs that we should consider having on this show, please contact us at info at so Darshel, back to you. Um, when we look at strategic planning, you know, obviously that's something that can emanate from the board. But can you tell us what a strategic plan is and why it's important? Um, okay. So let's just say for the sake of discussion you're in New York City today, and you want to get to Los Angeles by Friday. And there are a whole bunch of factors that you have to take into consideration. You're really tired right now, and let's see, you've got to consider how you're going to feel, consider the various routes you want to take. Um, Will you fly? Will you drive? Will you fly part of the way? Will you drive part of the way? Maybe you'll take the train. Um, Maybe you'd like to see some scenery on the way, pass through some of the mountain areas and make a stop here or there. The plan that you finally put together as you explore all of those options and and any challenges that you might encounter on the way, that's essentially your strategic plan. And that's why an organization has a strategic plan, to get from point A in their operations in fulfilling their mission to point B. Mm-hmm. They, if they have a vision of where they want to be, what kind of organization they want to be, what impact they want on their audience, down the road they need a strategic plan. If they have a goal, if they have a desire, if they want to serve more, whatever it is they want to do, down the road, three to five years down the road, they need a strategic plan. If they want mm-hmm. to stay exactly where they are and make no changes and no growth and no greater impact, <laughs> then they, they don't need a strategic plan. But most organizations want to grow and want to mm-hmm. increase their impact and, and, and I mean, they're, they're mission-driven. They have a mission. And they want to fulfill that mission as much as possible with as many people as possible. And so that growth is a natural desire. And if they've, if they've got that as an organization, 
then they need a strategic plan. And that mm-hmm. plan will give them, will set their goals and then walk them through step-by-step step how to achieve them, considering all of the factors that can impact on that process along the way. Mm-hmm. I got you. So you mentioned goals. Uh, what are some of the major components of a strategic plan? And I realize that every organization is different and, you know, there are you know, some plans that are more complex than others. But, you know, generally speaking, what are some of the major components of most strategic plans? So, of course, every plan has at least one goal. But most plans have multiple goals. Um, and mm-hmm. then for for each goal, there should be um, objectives and tasks. Um, you know what 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 needs to be done to get to that goal? What specific steps need to be taken to achieve that goal? They can be mm-hmm. comprehensive steps. They can be less comprehensive steps. Um, those are all important. You have to have those for a strategic plan. Once you've got those in place, then you've got to figure out the timing. Can you get mm-hmm. certain tasks achieved? When can you do those? And then who will do them? <laughs> Most importantly, right? Right. Who's going to do them? And, and, <laughs> and it's not vague. You know, it's not the marketing department. It is John <laughs> and Jane will do this task <laughs> in this time frame. <laughs> And then, of course, attached to all of that is a budget. How much is it going to cost to do all of these tasks, to carry all this out Mm -hmm. so that these goals can be reached? Those are all important components of a strategic plan. The most important piece, though, is once once the plan itself is completed, it's the implementation and Mm -hmm. the monitoring of the implementation. Because otherwise, it's just a, a great document in your folder on your desktop. <laughs> um, but but it, they're so built in, right, exactly. <laughs> built into the plan must be the monitoring. Mm-hmm. Those, are the, those, are, those are as important tasks as the actual um, tasks listed under each goal. And so that that's the only way to ensure that the plan is used and implemented. Otherwise, it's just a great exercise, and you spent a lot of time and effort um, putting it together. The other piece, and it's not necessarily a component, but it's really important to talk about when you talk about strategic planning, is that everyone has to have buy-in into it. So everyone has to mm-hmm. have, everyone in the organization has to have a role to play in determining what the strategic plan is. Just imagine if somebody just came to you and said, hey, okay, this is your plan. Go for it. Most <laughs> adults will will balk. Even if they agree with it, they won't have the passion for it that they would have if they were part of the creation of it. And so it's really mm-hmm. important that everybody have some role to play in developing it and in finalizing it so that they will have buy-in and ownership when it comes time to implement yeah, that's really interesting. Now, from a practical standpoint, I, I find that organizations find it difficult to go from the actual planning process. I mean, they could do the implementation, but actually monitoring it and project management of it, I, I find that that is difficult for organizations to follow through on, you know, especially at the board level for whatever reason. What are some practical ways that you can suggest that people can actually monitor it so it doesn't feel like an unwieldy process, you know, such that you're, you know, just like you monitor your financials, you know, how how do you monitor this process and keep it moving? I I think it's just like every other aspect of the plan, the monitoring is assigned. It's part of the task list. And if Jane and John are responsible for ABC tasks, then Peter and Paula are responsible for monitoring in this area and then others, you know, 
other people in that area, and then you have, of course, your project director who oversees the whole mm-hmm. thing. The tasks of task of monitoring must be built into the plan exactly. and assigned just like everything else. Otherwise, it really will end up on a shelf, and it will be just a great <laughs> exercise, <laughs> and, and very little will come from it, unfortunately. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And then the next year you go through the same exercise, and that's literally what it is, what calisthenics, right? Just repetition. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I will add is it's important that and when, in, in strategic planning, of course, we're looking at usually three to five years or maybe five to seven years down the road. But um, mm-hmm. one one thing that's important is you want – you want your strategic plan to be a reach. You know, you know the, mm-hmm. the saying, you know, you reach for the 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 the, the sun and you, you end up on the moon or something like that. <laughs> but you, yeah, but you yeah. want it to be a reach, but you also want it to be realistic. You want, you know, so if you're if you are give if you've got you know 150 tasks that somebody has to do in the next month, in addition to their regular day-to-day responsibilities, that's not realistic. So Mm -hmm. if there are 150 tasks required to get to this goal, you've got to come up with a realistic time frame or you need additional people to handle the tasks. But it has to be realistic or people will just be discouraged. And ultimately, the plan will not be implemented. Now, do you find that there is a difference in strategic planning for a single organization versus several organizations that collaborate? Does, Does that add an additional burden, or is it pretty much the same process? Oh, I think that adds a new dynamic to it. Um, and there are mm-hmm. upsides and challenges. The upside is that you've got more resources, um, and resources not just in terms of human resources and, and perhaps even financial resources, but also um, in ideas and in possibilities. Uh, the idea of a consortium of organizations, um, you know, it, it, the possibilities are just bigger and broader but the challenges are are more because even if you have similar missions, they might not be identical. And so mm-hmm. each organization is is tied to its own mission. So you have to be sure that whatever the plan uh, it comes out to be is reflective of all of those missions, and that makes it a little bit more difficult to do. You've got to mm-hmm. to really work hard it might take a little more effort more time uh and more consideration to put together a plan that will strengthen all of the organizations um mm-hmm. and and honor all of the various missions yeah that's that's very hard and then when you mm-hmm. and it's not impossible i don't want to sound negative but mm-hmm. it, it is very very hard, and I, I think one of the challenges that I've experienced and have observed is people sharing data, you know, being willing to be. At the end of mm-hmm. the day, they are still, in many instances, competitors, even though they have come together for, you know, this particular project. So there's a lot of um, barriers that you have to overcome to get people to be willing to share data, share mm-hmm. certain um, ideas that they deem as proprietary to, you know, realize mm-hmm. that, you know, we're working for the good of the community or for the city or for the state, but how do we protect our own intellectual property? How do we protect our own reputations, you know, for lack of a mm-hmm. better word, while providing for the best good as part of this um, this collective? Yeah, and 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 that's a really good point. It's important that each organization make those determinations before entering into the collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, everybody at each organization should be well aware of 
what that organization's procedures will be before entering into the the collaboration. Um, that should be clear what material is available and what material isn't, um, how it will be handled. Um, in some cases, in virtually all cases, you'll need written agreements on, on many, many things. Um, mm-hmm. but, and, then, and then to be wise in choosing who your partners are going to be. Um, you know, there there are organizations they would love to work together, but their missions are so different. It just they should not be working together. So it, it, mm-hmm. it's it's uh it's not it there there's a lot that would go into the planning the the pre planning before you even get to the strategic planning. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot to work out beforehand, um, but it is as you say, it's absolutely possible to be successful in that. Darshell, time is winding up. Um, I oh want to get into... Oh, that's okay. I am enjoying myself. I want to get into so annual planning. Okay. Okay. So how, can you tell us what the difference between annual planning and strategic planning is or okay. some of the differences? Sure. Every organization should have an annual plan. Um, and they should be working on it at at any point in time. Um, An annual plan is what the nonprofit is going to do for the next fiscal year, usually for the next fiscal year. It's a one-year plan. Um, It should be put in place. It should be in place before the start of that year. So if the fiscal year is January through December, you know, many organizations will start their planning process in September or October, by by January 1st, they've got a plan that's approved by the board, plan in place for what they're going to accomplish in that next mm-hmm. year. Um, strategic plan, as as we already talked, is usually it's, it's a vision. It's a vision casting down the road, what you want to be doing, um, where you want to be in the next three to five years or five to seven years or even ten years. Um, it's, it's more comprehensive. Um, and it's really based on um, a broader, bigger vision, whereas the annual plan mm-hmm. is, is, is more short-term. But, but every organization should have their annual plan. Sometimes it's called their operating plan, um, but mm-hmm. it, it usually covers a 12-month period in the life of the organization. And it, it should reflect every aspect of organizational operations. It should generate the annual budget, and it should mm-hmm. generate uh, the require the fundraising requirement for the year. I like that. I like that. So what we're really looking at too it sounds more akin to strategic management, where you're you're laser focused on what happens on you know the day to day basis, and I, I would imagine that whatever strategies that are included for that year in the strategic plan will also be in that annual plan because it's got to go in the budget and all that good stuff. Without a doubt. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. has to be comprehensive. And, and plans are, are fluid entities. They're not hard and fast. So after six months, you know, you can go back and look at your annual plan and say, okay, well, mm-hmm. you know, here's where we are. We're we're right on target. Let's just keep moving. Or, you know what, it doesn't look like we're going to need to do this this year. Let's push that to next year. Or, you know, we, we got some extra funding. Let's add this program in now. It's okay to do that. It's just important to um, to know when you want to take a look at your plan mid-year and, be open to making changes, not not across the board necessarily, unless there's some kind of crisis. But um, being able to look at some of the realities of the the previous six months and how they may impact the last half of the year um, that that's that's acceptable and actually encouraged. Okay, great. We've got five minutes left, and before we go, I do want to tell people about Nonprofit Utopia, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to share lessons learned and give 
you know, your final, you know, your final remarks, okay? Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So Nonprofit Utopia is the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. We have created a safe environment in which our members can innovate, speak candidly about the issues and concerns they face on a daily basis, and share ideas and resources. You should visit nonprofitutopia.com and nonprofitutopia.mn.co to get further information. Our mission is to provide ongoing professional development and networking opportunities in which experienced nonprofit professionals can share expertise with the next generation of ethical leaders. The overarching goal is of the community is to give our members the tools they need to develop strong organizations that will have long-lasting impact. Our vision is to strengthen the global nonprofit sector by providing training and development opportunities for 50,000 emerging nonprofit leaders throughout the world by 20. And this is part of that vision, this talk we're having. So, Darshel, um, one last question. And just to remind people, we're speaking with Darshel M. Garner. She is the Managing Director of Vineland Consulting, and she is going to share with us some of the lessons she's learned along the way as they relate to board development and strategic planning? Well, um, I think the number one lesson is to never underestimate the importance of the board of directors. Um, It is absolutely critical that the board knows their role and responsibilities, um, that they are prepared as individuals and as a body to carry out requirements of the board, um, Mm -hmm. that they are the fundraisers and they are the governors for the organization. Um, And that despite all of that, serving on a board can be one of the most rewarding things a person can do. Um, If the board is the foundation, then the strategic plan is the rocket Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that uh, sets off from that foundation. And so if an organization plans to go the distance, they need a strategic plan. Especially if they want to go from great to greater. You got and that. Is, <laughs> and Darcel is known. She's known for working with great organizations and taking them to the next level so that they become even greater. And we're really, really fortunate to have her as a guest. Now, Darshel, are there any parting thoughts? Um, I would just say keep doing good work. And, yes, um, as great as you are right now, yes, we can all go from great to greater. Um, it, it's possible, and uh, Violent Consulting Group is here to help. Um, I can be reached at D Garner. that's D as in David, G-A-R-N-E-R at vinelandconsulting.com, V as in Victor, I-N-E-L-A-N-D-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com, dgarner at vinelandconsulting.com. You can also visit my website at www.vinelandconsulting.com, and you can phone me at 773 773- Six eight zero five nine five four seven seven three six eight zero five nine five four. Thanks so much, Valerie. This has been great. Oh, thank you. It's like a, a mini mini reunion. So this is wonderful. Thank you. Oh, okay. I have enjoyed so, it. Great, great. So be sure to join us next week for another lively discussion on Nonprofit Utopia. Our guest will be Gabe Cohen. He is the Senior Director of Marketing and Communications of Candid. And for those of you who may not have heard, Candid is the successor organization for the merger of GuideStar 
and the Foundation Center. So this is huge, and we'll be talking to him about the merger and what that means for nonprofit organizations around the country. I can hardly wait. And, again, Darshel, thank you so much. And thank you. Have you have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You so, too. So gonna... Take care now. <laughs> you too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.